Exodus 18, the children of Israel have left, as I said. Israel, Pharaoh's army has been destroyed. Um, God has begun miraculously caring for the very essentials of the nation. Maybe in excess of two million people gone camping. Uh, He feeds them in the morning. He feeds them in the evening. He gives them a pillar of fire at night and clouds to cover them to follow in the day. Uh, He gives them water out of a rock. He gives them, um, he changes bitter water into fresh water to continue, but to show his faithfulness to his covenant and to his covenant people. He can, and yet they continue to test him. Interesting concept. Let's pray and we'll pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 18. Father, we come before your throne. Father, understanding that our brother Paul has told us the things of Israel happened for us to be warned. Father, may we who are called by your name, we in this covenant, the church aid, the bride of Christ, Father, may we heed the warning. May we draw to you, Lord. And yet, Father, when our faith is tested, may it be shown brighter and stronger. Father, that may when the things that you are doing are laid before us, we give you the glory, give you the glory alone. Father, help us to hear as I think of this text and and it just brings a, a smile to my face. And yet, Lord, that is how you do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people. How Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. I want to show you something really kind of amazing. The first time that you see um, Elohim used other than the Genesis record. It is right there in verse chapter 18, verse 1. He uses God, he uses Elohim here. And it's fascinating, and he'll pick it up and he'll use it more in chapter in verse 12 of 18. But anytime it deals with the, uh, the, the worship of God, it's always Yahweh. Yahweh. Now this is that fascinating because it says here that Jethro had heard what had happened. Okay? Um, military terms would call it intelligence gathering. And it's fascinating because people just look at it as so uncivilized. Let me tell you something. Word gets round. When your army gets drowned in the Red Sea, word gets out. Word gets out. When a whole nation of slaves is set free, word gets out. Word gets out. People start hearing. Did you hear what's going on out there? Okay, and you're going to hear this. They're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. Okay, and yet you're going to hear that there was a harlot in the city of Jericho who said that the people of Jericho were afraid of the coming Israelites. Why? For Yahweh was with them. That's fascinating, don't you think? I think that's fascinating. 
information was getting around. And it gets around multiple ways. It would get around from what they would call merchant caravans that was moving. We would call them semis today. Okay, CB chatter. Did you hear what happened over in Egypt? Pharaoh got washed out. Okay, well, here, here's my camel. How's your camel? Okay, um, you also had ambassadors that moved from country to country. You'd have an ambassador from, say, um, the Persians who would be living and working in the, the capital of Egypt. Uh, just much of what you see today. And you would also have, verse 2 says, Moses' wife, Zephorah, was with her father, and she was probably getting intelligence updates on what her old hubby was up about anyway. Correct? So he says there, <clears throat> Jethro decides then he's going to take his wife or his daughter, Moses' wife, and sons back. Two sons, one were named Gershom, for Moses had, he was named Gershom because I have seen, a, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Uh, and his other son, his name was Eleazar, uh, is God my father has helped me and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro has heard what has happened, that you have this massive mass of humanity coming through the Sinai Peninsula. And he decides that he's going to take his uh, daughter and two uh, grandsons back to their father. All right. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife, verse Five to Moses in the wilderness where they were camped at the Mount of God. At the Mount of God. So Jethro comes. He's here. There, the, the Mount of God, that is Sinai. Okay, and this is, this is we're going to stay here over the next few weeks um, because a lot is going to happen here in the next few weeks. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife, and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet them, his father-in-law, and he bowed down. This is great because Moses, the deliverer, has just brought two million captives out, and he bows down before this guy and kisses him. And they asked each other the welfare, and he went into the tent. They wanted to catch up on what was going on. Now, this is pretty impressive when you, th when you start thinking about it. Okay, Moses has obviously got some clout. I mean, Moses has been doing some stuff. I mean, you've got the plagues in Egypt. Uh, you've got the parting of the Red Sea. You've got the, the rock that brings forth water. You've got the manna feeding here. And you've got the quails. And you've got all this stuff happening. Okay? And it's obvious that God is doing something through this guy. And yet, Moses humbled himself before this man. You know why? It's his father-in-law. No. <laughs> it's not. I can tell you why. It's a very simple reason. You see it in, in verse 1. He was a priest. He was a priest. We call that a holy man. Now, what's amazing about this priest is, do we know who, he's, who he worshipped? Yep, we do. We do. Yahweh. You know what's really amazing about this? He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. You have a Gentile priest worshiping the true living God and he's doing it based on faith. And I'll show you faith here in a few minutes. Okay? This is totally cool. I think this is just amazing. Why? Because God, by them coming into the tent and speaking to each other, you know what he just did? He says, my covenant is with who? Israelites and 
Gentiles. Israelites and Gentiles. Verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardships that had befallen him on the journey and how Yahweh had delivered them. He went through the whole detail. You just won't believe it. This has been some time, so they're having a, a little snack and they're having a good time. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which Yahweh had done to Israel and delivering them into, from the hands of the Egyptians. Okay, there's only one reason that man rejoices. Who is his faith in? Okay, so when you read that, that he was a priest in Midian, of Midian, understand what he was. Okay, now remember, there's two guys, two kinds of guys you're going to see uh, in, in, in the Old Testament. You have priests and prophets. Okay, the prophets speak to the people from God. Okay. You got that? It is God's man to tell the people something. What's the priest's responsibility? Take the people to God. Take the people to God. That's what they call a early model pastor. Okay? So Jethro rejoiced at all the goodness which Yahweh had done in Israel. Verse 10. So Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know. Now here's what happens. He had faith, but now he has a confirmation of his faith. All right? Now listen, there's no doubt in my mind that he had heard of some of the teachings of God, of Yahweh, through Moses when they lived together for 40 years. All right, but let's be realistic. How up to snuff was Moses on the scriptures by the time he was run out of Egypt? He would have had some insight. He understood what it was to be a child of the Hebrews. But here you have a Gentile living in the wilderness, a herder, who is a priest of Midian. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it has been proven he dealt proudly against the people. He showed what he did. This is something that I see that is one of the greatest banes in the church today. What I it is the greatest thing that I see lacking in the body of Christ today. Okay, what is it? Gratitude to God for what he has done. I just don't see it. I mean, we give him a partial. That's cool. But I watch building programs. I watch systems. I watch methodologies. I watch, let me publish a book. Let me have a TV show. Let me have a radio ministry. Let me have a tape ministry. Let me have a Bible study. Let me have a, a number of people in my Bible study. Let me have a small group that flourishes and all the rest of it. And everybody has got their hands in the glory. And yet what you see in the Exodus is God arranged it in such a way. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that he raised Pharaoh up and made him so powerful that for Israel to leave was only going to be divine intervention to get it done. I watch this today and we go and we build the church based on what? Human energy and effort. Human energy and effort. Uh, and it's so fascinating to me when I f- first drew into the realization of what God had called the Christians to. Okay? 
When I first got saved, I asked the, the, the pastor who baptized me, I said, well, what do I do now? He said, read the Gospel of John. That's it. Well, what about the other 65 books? Now, just read John. Well, that seems odd to start about three quarters of the way through the whole book and start reading. It's, is that how you read a book? I mean, at least start at the end. So you know how it's, I don't know. And then, you know, and I, I went through a lot of stuff, but I went through some tough stuff in, early in my Christian walk. And one of the things I learned was, is that every Christian was bound and determined to make converts. Soul winning. That's what we're here for. Winning souls. The Great Commission is to make disciples. So I had a passion early to do what? Make disciples. Well, if I'm going to make disciples, then what do I need to do? I better know what I'm teaching and what I'm sharing and ask questions. And don't be afraid to ask questions. I don't see this in the body of Christ. And yet, God, I wanted, when we moved into this building, my big passion was to make it a discipleship center where we made disciples systematically, boom, groom them and grow them. You know, Christianity 101, 201, 401, 1101, whatever. All right, but grow them and walk with them so that they would start replicating and it would be multiplication. You know what was weird about it? After years into it, it dawned on me, most in this community are not interested in it. It takes too much time. Wait, what? Am I supposed to be at the church when the doors are open? Yep. Why? You love Christ? Do you love Christ? Where's he manifested? I mean, it's like when we used to date. You always tell a pretty girl, I just love your mind. Sure you do. Okay? I see Christians who are doing the same thing. I love your mind, Lord. I just don't like the body. Okay? No. We are to make disciples. And then it dawned on me, Nobody wants that. And then you know what he showed me? Russia. You know what they want? People to make disciples. Teach us to teach others what you're teaching us. Well, well that's interesting. That's my passion. It's just not my language. I don't do rushing well. Okay? But then you rejoice. God, look at what you're doing. Can you believe it? That's amazing. That's amazing. How God delivered. How God built the church. How God conformed this sinner. How God changed this heart. See the difference? Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. <clears throat> then Jethro, verse 12 says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took burnt offerings and he sacrificed for who? 
Elohim. Wait a minute. Everywhere you in the Old Testament, you see Israel offering burnt sacrifices that's always to one individual, and it is always capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to Yahweh, except for here. To Elohim. Always in the Old Testament, the connection with sacrifices for Israel. But he switches here in verse 13 to Elohim, verse 12, to Elohim in 13. So there is a significance here that Jethro used the name Yahweh in his response to Moses and then his declaration of faith he attributes to his understanding to who? To Elohim. Jethro the Gentile. This situation, when you see this happening, this priest of Midian, he offers, who offered the sacrifice? Jethro, Moses didn't do it. You know why? Think, 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 think. Why? The prophet is from God to man. The priest is from man to God. Who offers the sacrifices to God? It is the priest, which would be Aaron. Not Moses. Moses is the bringer of the law. What does that make him? A prophet. All right, so you see an establishment already that is laid out here, and the law hasn't even begun. Ten commandments haven't even been given. You still have the book of Deuteronomy, and you still have the book of Leviticus to deal with. But God here is relating Israelite to the Gentile world at the same time. And he uses the name Elohim rather than Yahweh because Yahweh is the covenant name for Israel. I just think that's fascinating to me. That's just kind of amazing. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge people. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now, here's this is this is really good stuff here. We kind of look at this and say, well, duh. But th- this sort of reminds me of how government works. <laughs> well, it is. All right? Because he makes a statement in here. You're going to wear yourself out and the people. <laughs> and, and if you ever... Have you ever gone down to get your driver's license? Okay, I'm, just to renew them. Have you ever done that? Mercy. <sighs> you know... who thought this idea up take a number (laughs) all right but i mean what do i need to do you need to take my picture and you sign it back over to something and everything is be be copacetic it's no big deal that's just amazing to me but it is because you got one person anyway all right what do you have is practical wisdom verse 13 through the end of the chapter it came about the next day moses said to judge the people okay basically what he's doing he's hearing disputes Okay. And he did it from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to, to me to inquire of who? Elohim. Elohim. Okay. The people, now listen, where would the people go 
to understand what God wanted from them. They didn't have a Bible. Please understand. They had insight. It's obvious because there were people making offering sacrifices of praise to God. But they didn't have a Bible. I couldn't go and understand it from a biblical sense. So where were you going to go? Well, you're going to go from he who is giving the law. Who would that be? That would be the prophet. Who was that? That was Moses. Because they inquired to me. Verse 16 says, when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between the man and his neighbor and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. All right. Now, I remember what I just told you. What is the great commission of the church? Whose responsibility is it? We are called a royal priesthood, ruling priest of the line of Jesus. All right. Do you understand that? So it is our responsibility to do what? Make disciples. How do I do that? They inquire of God. So then I tell them some great philosophy. I tell them some great book I read. No, you give them the words of God, the words of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. Okay, you, now verse 18 is perfect. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Can you think about that? Two million people complaining? One guy, take a number. From morning till evening. I'm going back to Egypt. <laughs> if I was Moses, I'd have left the first day. First time, this, yeah, you're out of here. Now listen to me. This is what Jethro says, verse 19. Listen to me. I shall give you counsel. Now watch what he does. Please see this. You want to see a man of God. Jethro is a man of God. How do I know he's a man of God? Why? Who did he give credit to? He gave it to God. He even made a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God. God has done a mighty thing here. Now he gives counsel. Okay, what you're doing is not right. Now listen to me. I shall give you counsel. And look what he says next. And God be with you. You be the people's representative. Before who? And you bring the disputes to God. Then teach, what does it say? Then, what does it say? Then teach what? Them, the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Stop right there. What are we doing today? There are people who think my responsibility is to make judgments from morning until evening. You know what my responsibility is? 
I just read it to you. That's my responsibility. You know, I, I try to get people to understand, and I've used this illustration before, I'm going to use it again. My job, Moses' job, okay, now listen, I am not trying to compare myself to Moses. That is not what I'm saying. I don't even, I don't carry a stick. Okay. I, I, I don't. That ain't what I'm trying to do. But my job is to spend time with God and bring it out and try not to spill anything so that you'll eat. It's not my responsibility to track you down. It's not my responsibility to chase you down. It's not my responsibility to figure out what you're doing or what you're dealing with. It is my responsibility to spend time with God and hopefully, best I can describe it, I'm a table waiter. He prepares it and I try to get it out without spilling it. And yet, if you look at the body of Christ today, is that what you see? You know, I have people says, well, you know what, Terry? You need to start counseling. And I was like, am I that bad of shape? And they said, no, you need to start, you know, taking people and, and meeting with them and counseling. I said, well, every time I stand at the pulpit, what am I doing? I'm giving you the statutes and the law of God over and over and over and over again. Am I not? Okay, now listen, if you ain't here to hear it, that ain't my fault. That is not my fault. And I try to get people to grab a hold of that because this benefit to Moses and to Israel is the delegation. It doesn't say, Terry, go and make disciples of all nations. It says, as you are going. Who is the you there? Christians. As we are going. What are we supposed to do? Make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnics. It doesn't matter who they are, of everybody. That's what he says then. Teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they should walk. Then furthermore, I like it, furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God. Focus in on this 21, all right? Able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Okay? All right, now I want you to show this what he did. All right, he says, I'm going to give you counsel and take it before God and see if it ain't right. Okay, now I know because I've read on that he implements this in Deuteronomy. Now, whether he did it immediately, I can't tell you. But I do know that he does implement it and does show up in Deuteronomy. All right, so now whether he just took it or not... But he understood this much that Moses was at least going to seek the face of God before he imp implemented the council. Well, we'd be a lot better off if more would, of us would do that. All right. But he says, I want you to teach the people the statutes and the laws of God. But then I want you. Here's how it is phrased in the New Testament. Entrust to faithful Men, that that I have given you. Okay, uh, 
you see this in the in Tim, both Timothy letters, this guarding, this entrusting, this preserving, this making sure of what you're giving and make, keeping it pure to the generation, to the generation, to the generation. All right. And, and you need to entrust and entrust and entrust. And that's, do you see how far back that idea goes? That's not a new plan. You know what we call this? It's mentoring. No. It is discipleship. Every, you know what? Everyone in this room makes disciples. Did you know that? Okay. But I want you to think about it for a second because there's a key that I sort of head out of this for a second because I want you to think about it. Okay. Now listen, Moses has just done some stuff now. Let's be realistic. I mean, it is obvious that Moses is on a wavelength with God that's like this. You tell them tomorrow it will stop. You tell them tomorrow it will start. I mean, do you see what he's doing? Moses has got a proven track record. Moses is a man of God. Moses is a man called by God. Moses is a man being used by God. But here's the key. When he saw his father-in-law, who was a priest to the Midians, what did he do? He was a humble man. Even with what had just happened. He humbled himself before a man of God. That's amazing stuff. Now listen. you. I really wish you guys get a hold of this. This is key to this. You want to make disciples. You want to teach. You want to preach. You want to study this law of God to show yourself a worker approved, right and dividing truth. And you want to invest in people in eternal destination of souls. And you want to do it over and over. You'd better humble yourself and you'd stay there. I was reading a quote, Mert McShane, just a few minutes ago, that a man on his knees before God is all that he is and all that he'll ever be. What is it? Humble before the Lord. What did he say? This man, find those who are able men. Who what? Fear God. Moses came out of Egypt and he knew who was responsible for everything that happened. And he knew that he didn't have anything to do with it. If you have the ability to study and see insights into the word of God, you do not have that ability. God gave it to you. Remember when Peter... Jesus says, who do the people say I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And Peter, who do you say I am? What did he say? You are the son of the most high God. You are the Christ. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father revealed this to you. Even when you come, <laughs> even when you come to salvation, you didn't have anything to do with it. Well, I accepted Christ. No, you didn't. Christ shattered your stony heart. And all of a sudden you, whoa, we're alive to Jesus. I, uh, it's humility, people. The humility. Jethro's statements here are what I call the virtues of a godly man. And let me tell you something. That right there is the most difficult thing to find on the planet earth today. A man who fears God, men of truth, 
who hate dishonest gain, who shall place and, and, and that have a humility. Now, they may fight with it, but they'll have a humility. And let me tell you something. Humility stands out in our society today. In our society. He says in verse 22, let them judge the people at all times. Let them take care of it. Delegate this stuff. It's management skills. No, it's God's way. See, Jethro's statements are about God. Okay, here's, when I read this, I, I want to, now I want to just kind of really zoom in here on verse 23. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure all of these people also will go to their place in peace. All right. What do you want to focus on that for? Here's the key. Godly virtue that he's talking about here. The See, you got to know the statutes. You got to know the law before you can teach them. Okay. As you study the law of God, the word of God, there's only one, there's one thing that becomes very apparent in a very cursory study of scripture. Humility. <laughs> Humility. You can't look at the Bible and think you've got anything to bring to this thing. You just read it and go, man, what a worm I Okay? But in that humility, what you're going to find is that the statutes and the law of God, when you start looking at the things of God, you start studying the things of God, you start walking in the glory of God, here's what will happen. Your faith will be integrated with the way you think. That's what Jethro is giving you and I here. Do you hear what I just said? My faith will become integrated with how I think, with what I do, with my perceptions, with my decisions. I know people today who have got orthodox theology. Their faith is absolutely purely biblical and it has no effect on them. If I need a new car, then I need to go out and figure out how much interest I want to pay, how much a down payment I want to pay, and then I go down to the bank and I pick me out a car and I've got this much money and I finance that sucker for six years, four years, three years, two years, or whatever it is I'm doing. And the whole time they offer up these, God, just make it happen. You want this to, listen, if the loan goes through, that means you got good credit. Ain't got nothing to do with God. Why don't I take the integration of my faith and apply it to the normal stuff? I would take it from this perspective. How much money do I spend on the temporal? How much money do I spend on the eternals? Then ask yourself a question. How do I finance it? How do I finance the eternals? Well, he's talking about giving. I'm talking about the eternals. I am talking about when you make decisions. 
I don't care what the decision is. It could be minuscule, minute. I don't even, what am I going to wear today? Do you ever take God into consideration when you get ready? Jethro said, if God wills this, then you should do this. What is it? Make disciples and find trusted men. Trusted men. You know, when I was in Russia, that's their biggest cry. We can't find men. We don't have have any men. We don't have any men. And I said, don't worry about it. It's a global thing. I have a problem finding them too. Why? Because I can't, I have no ability to take biblical statutes and force them into a guy's head, into his thinking. All right? I can't do that. The everyday blah, 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 blah. I remember, here's one of the ways that fascinated me. My daughter went to school out in California. She went to a place called the Master's College. Because when they merged these two universities together, they said there's only one person gets credit for it. And his name will be on the university. So they call it the Master's College. And we were sitting there, and you got all the freshmen there, and everyone's kind of a little nervous and, and all the rest of it. And he sat there and he says, we want you to understand that our primary focus in this four- or five-year school, it's a college, a liberal arts college, your primary focus in this four- or five years, depending on what degree you're getting, is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, this is a liberal arts college. You know, they're coming out of here with business degrees. And, you know, yeah, there's some coming out with going to be a missionary or something like that. But most of it, you know, business and, and, and some science degrees and stuff like that. Uh, they got a big oceanographic degree thing. And uh, they've got music uh, and all this other stuff. And, and I said, how much am I paying to, for them to worship? And then he made this statement. Because if you learn to worship the Lord Jesus Christ... When you're doing your homework, it becomes an act of worship. When you're writing your thesis, it becomes an act of worship. And everything you will do will be based on one institution, and that is the worship of the living God. Of course, all the parents are going, bravo, bravo. Okay? I was just thankful I didn't find a school like that when I was young. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Okay? Let me ask you a question. What's your single focus in all that you do? Jethro had integrated his faith into his thinking. He fully recognized Moses' need for divine permission. He understood. Moses, he ain't going to do this. You see that 23. Do this thing and God so commands you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. You know what he just said there? You know, I, I hear people talk about spiritual burnout. Okay? Um, they say one of the greatest crises that is affecting the American church today, Christianity today had an article about it, is pastoral burnout. And I'm sitting there going, what? And you read through it. It's got all that psychobabble stuff in it and, and, and this, this, that, and the other. And you know what? 
We need more of them to burn out. I'm sorry. There is so much out there right now. I need more burnout. Why? Because if you think I'm supposed to build this church, we are all in trouble. Okay? It says if God does this, then you will endure. Listen, if God is in it, how do you burn out? When did God get tired? If I'm using the energy that spoke existence into being, how do you get tired? What do you do with the text that says you will run and not get tired? You will have wings and you will soar. Well, it's a hyperbole. Oh, do you see what I'm trying to get at? He, Jethro was smart enough, his faith was strong enough that he says, you know what? What you're trying to do is admirable, Moses. But let me tell you something. That ain't the way God does it. Teach others to teach. Teach others to judge. And you go before God for the people. And Moses did so. Moses chose. Moses listened to his father-in-law in verse 24 and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses. But the very my every minor dispute they themselves would judge. And they're going to do this based on what? The law of God, all right? <clears throat> then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell he went his way into his own land Jethro got his stuff together he took off and went back to his sheep herds okay listen these qualities were required of Moses at this time and I'll give them to you Acts chapter 6 verse 3 you see him first Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 you see him and Titus chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 you see him so you see a whole combination that nothing has really changed nothing has really changed the man of God must show himself a worker approved, rightly dividing truth. And then he will entrust that truth to faithful men. And faithful men who are able to teach. And as we are going, we will continue to impute that truth to everybody that God brings into our paths. The key to it is to be able to take my faith and integrate it into my thinking. There's too many in the body of Christ today who have faith here and their thinking is here. And the two shall never meet. And, and you know what? That's why you count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? It tests your faith. It purifies it. It burns off the dross, the, the leftover. And that, and I want you to grab a hold of this because this isn't for the pastor. It isn't for the elder, the Sunday school teacher. This is for those who are in Jesus Christ. The only thing I'm ever called to grow in is what? My faith. How do I grow in my faith? I read my Bible. I hang out with Christians. I love to hear. I do not despise prophetic utterances. I pray without ceasing. I rejoice in all things. And a few other odds and ends that he gives you in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And you do all of those things and what happens? Things that come against you. All right? When things come against you, it burns off the excess. And guess what? Woo-hoo! 
you're stronger. And you get to invest in more and invest in more and invest in more. But the key to it is, is what am I taking in spiritually? Is it coming out in reality? And you know, I get people keep saying, well, how do I make that apply? Bow before it. Well, but how do I make that apply? Bow before it. But I, no, no, no. Yeah, listen, a lot of you guys have been through First, First Corinthians 13, right? Okay, the 15 facets of love. How are you doing with that? Kind, gentleness. Huh? Long-suffering, bears all things, believes all things. It's useful when wrong, doesn't keep record. How are you doing with that? That's a dandy, ain't it? I mean, you just read that and say, well, I just need to get saved. But what happens is, is when it comes into my thinking processes, then I don't even think about it. It becomes second nature. And you know what I've learned? The more illogical it is, the more probable God is doing it. If it seems absolutely, absurdly impossible, then I know God's probably involved in it. Because God likes doing the absolutely absurd. Releasing a nation of slaves from a superpower without firing a shot. There was no suicide bombers. It's nothing like that. There was no revolt. Of course, the lambs probably said, wait a minute, there was a revolt. See the difference? I, I, I give you that because, listen, Moses is a man of God, correct? His desire was for the things of God, Correct? And he was trying to do it, correct? And Jethro was a priest of God. And he says, you can't do it, Moses. You need to teach others to do it. Okay? What's the church made up of? Teachers teaching teachers. Okay? The key to being taught and the key to teaching is the same. Did you know that? It's humility. It's humility. You can have the head knowledge, but to see it to come out in your thinking processes, it will only come out through humility. It will only come out through humility. Okay? Moses bowed before Jethro. And I know why. He was a priest. He was a man of faith. How do we deal with that? There you go. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see the virtue in this. Help us to see the power and the majesty in this. Father, help us to be humble people first who fear you, who fear you more than anything. And then, Father, let your glory, your mercy, your passion, your power flow through your humble servants. Father, as we go forward from here, What an awesome and daunting task to take faith and integrate it with the thinking processes. Who is adequate for such a thing? And yet, Father, that's what you do with us. That's what you do through us. Father, help us to bow before you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the memorial today. And Lord, I just pray that uh, the gospel was clearly presented And Father, I pray that hearts were touched and that the seed planted in good soil. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.